Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, we have uh, been in a series of messages called Trending, where we've been talking about some of the, the, the relevant cultural issues, trending topics of, of our day and of our time. Today is, is going to be a little bit different as we talk about this today than maybe what we might typically see or what we talk about. Today's message is for the church and um, in, in a very specific way. If you look and you watch the life of the Apostle Paul, and we'll see this in the book of Acts here in a couple of weeks, Paul so much was about evangelism. He was about starting churches. He was about being a pioneer and a missionary and going out to those who did not know the good news of Jesus Christ and telling them the good news. But when he wrote his letters, the epistles that we read in the New Testament, he wrote those letters to the church and he was dealing with issues that the church needed to be concerned about. Not so much with the world and the culture outside the church, but what did the church need to be concerned about? The message today is for the church. And this is one today, if you're a guest with us, maybe this is your first time, maybe you don't usually go to a church, or maybe this whole idea about God is new to you, just know we're so honored that you're here. We welcome you here today. And today is not what I would call a normal Sunday. It's, it's a little bit different in the topic we're going to talk about. And this is maybe kind of a little preemptive warning. Today we're going to talk about a sensitive subject, but a relative one, a trending topic. We're going to talk about human sexuality today. And, and for the record, most Sundays around here, I try to keep it pretty PG when, uh, when we're preaching on, on Sundays. Today's message is not rated R, but we're going to go PG-13 a little bit here as we read some of these passages of Scripture. So I say that because if some of you think today might be a good day to test out Kids Church, now's a good time if that, uh, if that makes any sense. When, when, uh, when one of our kids was little, and I've shared this before, whenever there was, a, there was an uncomfortable conversation for us to have, if he was in trouble for something or if it was this, this issue where, where we had to talk about expectations in some way that weren't pleasant or something that needed to be done, they would look just kind of right at us and they were learning like how to use bigger words and more vocabulary. And it was funny because they'd always look at us and just go, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to have this conversation. And if you're anything like the other services today, I'll look out as we talk about this issue of human sexuality and we use the word sex and we talk about some of these things today. Some of you are going to sit there like, I don't want to have this conversation. You'll sit there kind of not looking with your eyes closed and it's not because you're sleeping like usual. It's just a little uncomfortable, <laughs> right, for us to talk about something like this in church. But I think it's really important for us to talk about this in church just this week, USA Today did a, a pretty big study that they released called The Future of Love. Let me read you the opening paragraph from it. Boys kissing boys, girls saying hashtag me too, political debates over bathrooms. Imagine being a kid. Decades of slow cultural change in gay rights and women's rights and a burgeoning internet age seem to be culminating in front of you just as you're starting to get your first crush and trying to pass English. The post-millennial Gen Zers, people born between 1997 and 2016, in grade schools are forming their views on love now, and we wanted to know what they are thinking. So USA Today released this study on love and, and, and sex and marriage and dating, and what this Gen Z, what kids in school today are thinking about this, and, and I don't know that USA Today should be the only one having this conversation, do you? I think the church should have this conversation. And I don't think the church can afford to let USA Today lead the conversation. We need to see what God's word says about these topics and then look at them. Why do this, Chad? Why, why hit this topic? I'm in the middle of my summer. Why get so serious in the middle of July? Not because we've got an ax to grind, not because we've got a point to make, but because we've been systematically walking through the book of Acts and today, we come to a passage of scripture that doesn't give us a whole lot of room to ignore this really relevant topic, and it's important for us to have this conversation. Acts chapter 15, we, we've looked at this for the last three or four weeks, and we've been in this series, how do we discuss things that are cultural issues of our time? And in that day and time, there were cultural issues that had to be discussed. They had this big meeting in Acts chapter 15 called the Council of Jerusalem, and there were two questions they had to consider. We've looked at this the last few weeks. The first question was, how is a person saved? 
And we've answered that one. And if you're curious, you can go back and look a few weeks back. A person is saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But the second question, not just how is a person saved, but then how does a saved person live? How is it that a person who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, who knows his forgiveness, who knows his salvation, how are they to live their lives? And so in order to answer this question, there was a letter that was written to the church where the question was being asked. And so the leaders in Jerusalem write this letter to a church far away in a place called Antioch, and here's how they conclude it. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And now they're gonna say, this is how a saved person lives. The first one, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about idolatry and what that looks like. The second part, you're to abstain from blood, from the meat of strangled animals. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But last week, we saw how those things apply to some of the issues in society that maybe we're not so sure about. We called them yellow light issues. Anybody remember that? Anybody think of that when you blew through that yellow light this week? How about when you blew through that red light this week? Anybody need to confess? Right, okay, it comes kind of back to mind. And then here's the last part. He goes on to say, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. And farewell, they, they finished up their letter there. So the issue's right here. It was an issue 2,000 years ago. It's an issue in our world today. And it's time for us to address it. Why is that important? Well, if you remember the first week of this series, we talked about how when this letter got written, it was sent to this church. And I'll just be real honest. I'm not always real happy when somebody tells me what I can and cannot do. Anybody else? Like, I don't like to be told what to do sometimes. But when they got this letter, it said that when they heard the way they were supposed to live, they were glad. They rejoiced that they got this letter. Why? Because it gave them clarity. Sometimes when there's an issue that we're unsure about, what we need is clarity that will help us to understand what we're to believe and what to do. So the last three weeks, we've been talking about what we've called a GPS. It's a strategy or it's a tool or it's kind of a, a grid or a mindset, a perspective that when you're up against an issue, something in culture that maybe you don't know what to think about or when you're not sure how you should respond to a situation, what choice or decision to make, that you can use this GPS. We've called it a compass for navigating the trending topics of our challenging times. Kind of a tool to help us to make decisions for ourselves based on God's word. I don't wanna tell you just what to think. I wanna help you to know how to think about things, trending topics, based on God's word. The G in that GPS stands for God. And we ask the question, is this glorifying? Does this glorify God? The P stands for people. And we ask the question, does this encourage or discourage others? The S stands for self. And we ask the question, does this cause me to be closer to or further away from God? And so today, we're, we're gonna use this GPS framework and we're gonna look at a topic that, that has come up to us because of Acts chapter 15, but it's everywhere in our culture. What do we think about sex? Today, we're gonna look at lots of scripture and uh, we spent the last three weeks walking through this GPS, so I wanna give you God's word. We're just gonna use this framework of God, people, and self to help us to understand how do we respond to this today and give you kind of a chance to use it for yourself. Two quick things that I think are important before we even get to some of the specifics. The first is this. When you look at a, an interesting topic, something that is difficult to deal with, even if you're interacting with somebody in a way that you know this, this situation could have some real tension to it, I think it's really important that you come into situations like that in the same way that Jesus came into the world. John chapter one, verse 14, tells us that when Jesus came, he came with grace and he came with truth. Isn't that an interesting balance? Grace is, is wonderful because it shows people love and acceptance and that they matter. Truth is important because truth is important, right? But sometimes truth can hurt. And so those two together are so important. Too much grace is out of balance. Too much truth is out of balance. But the two together give you the opportunity to impact people's lives. The second scripture that I think is really important as we talk about this, and you see this right at the outset, is when Paul is writing about sexual morality, an interesting topic. I bet it was difficult 2,000 years ago as it's kind of a little uncomfortable to talk about even today. 
as he wrote this, he started with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For some of you, there, there may be something that we bring up in the next few moments that could have the potential to cause you to feel some shame. In fact, there's been seasons of time when I think the church and some churches have actually been really good at that. That the point of talking about difficult issues is to actually make someone feel more shame than to help them to understand what God's word says. Paul says right here, look, I say these things and I hope you'll you'll sense the spirit of why we say these things because we want to warn you not to shame you. This week I was pulling into like this, this shopping complex area. And, and if, you're, if you're going east on this road, there's a, there's a little drive that you can cut right in there and you, can, you make a right turn. It'll take you right into the parking lot. But it's designed for just that one direction, just that east direction of traffic to turn into the parking lot. And the way it's designed, it's not designed for you to go back out because you can't like go out and make a left turn there. To do that, you have to go the other side of the parking lot, out the light. And so this is just this short little one-way driveway that pulls into this larger parking lot that's only supposed to go one way. That's the, that's the right way. Does that make sense? Like you kind of got it in your head? So I'm pulling in where there's these two lanes. I, I pull in. It's one way. For the record, I'm going the right way on the one way. And then it, it's two lanes so that when you get to the end of this little drive, you can either go to the left or you can go to the right. Well, I pull in. And just as I pull in, this guy that's coming down the other way turns and, and goes the wrong way on the one way, which is kind of risky. Because if you're just driving, it just looks like another drive. It looks like a way to just get out of this kind of shopping plaza area. And so he just thought, well, this looks like the right turn. I, I don't think the signs do not enter caught his attention. But he just makes this turn. And it was one of these things that as I'm sitting there in the, in the right lane to go this way, he turns that way and I just went, I don't think, I don't, I'm not, I don't think he can do that. And I'm asking myself, isn't this a one way? And at that moment, I realized that behind me was a guy pulling in in a big old pickup truck. And he was in that left lane just as this other guy was coming this way. And he gave him a holy honk in that moment. (laughs) And some words we don't speak in church, I'm pretty sure. Why? Because he was going the wrong way on a one way. And I thought to myself, should I have done something? Like, should I have tried to stop this guy? But there, there was no way. Like, he was, he was past me before he even realized what he was doing, before I realized what he was doing. And I thought, man, I sure wish I could have helped him to avoid that really weird situation. I wish I could have warned him. Today, we're going to look at truths from God's word. And for some of you, my prayer is that wherever you're at on this issue of human sexuality, that it will be a warning for you because a one way is designed a certain way so you don't go the wrong way and run into big old Mr. F-150. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because it's designed that way to protect you. It's designed that way so that you don't end up in in some kind of situation you don't want to be in. And sometimes it looks like the right way. And sometimes, even if a whole lot of people are going the wrong way on a one way, you might think it's the right way, but it's still the wrong way. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about these things today because Scripture encourages us to. Look, I, I know that today this is such a culturally charged and loaded topic. And we're going to say things where we try to stay away from personal opinions and political arguments. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to see what scripture says. And if you don't agree with what we say, my hope is that you will take God's word and you'll apply it to your own life and and pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand what he's speaking to you. You might not agree with it all. There'll be some things that we'll mention today that that, that you go, hey, I'm curious. I want to know more. Mentioned this last week. Calvary is a part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. And if you want to know more about what we believe as a church, you can go out to the website AG, like assemblyofgodag.org. You can see what we believe theologically. There's a section there called position papers. And there's two or three really helpful ones that talk about these areas of human sexuality in, the, in these areas of these position papers. We're going to look at scripture today. Scripture was never written in a way where when we look at it, we're to revel in the fact that we think we're right and others are wrong or that we're better than other people. So we're gonna look at this today with a heart of humility, with what God's word has to say to us. Take this subject of sexuality, run it through the filter of our GPS. Let's jump right in. We're gonna have to move kind of quick. Let's start with the first one, that first question. When we talk about G and God, we ask the question, does this glorify God? We ask the question, does this glorify 
God. Let me set the stage for you. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And at the very beginning of chapter 5, he says, I hear from other people that there's some sexual immorality going on in your church. And he says to them, you should have done something about this, but instead, listen to the word he uses. He says, instead you're proud. And he calls them out. And he says, look, you, you can't have sexual immorality in your church. This is something you need to deal with. Why did he need to deal with it? Well, man, welcome to Corinth. If you, if you lived in Corinth in that day, they had a temple that was nearby there that was dedicated to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. And part of their, even their religious practices in their idolatry was all kinds of really perverse sexual stuff to the point that in that part of the Greek world at that time, if you were referred to as a Corinthian, it meant that you had no sexual morals. So that name of that city carried over into how people lived in their immorality. And this was something where Paul's saying, look, you cannot allow immorality to be in the church. And although he starts out in that passage by talking about a very particular sin, the sin of incest, he goes on and talks about all sexual immorality. And we'll see this as we go through this passage of scripture. But what I want you to see first then is, is to answer this question. If there is moral sin and if there is immoral sin, is there really, or excuse me, if there's moral sex and immoral sex, if there's sexual morality and sexual morality, is there really a way that God can be glorified by our sexuality? Because isn't that our question? How is God glorified? Is God glorified in this? So the question is, can sex glorify God? I think to be able to answer that, we have to have a, a biblical definition of sexuality. And we, we walked through this several years ago, but I want to walk through it again today and talk about, if you, if you look at what Scripture says about sex, that we can have a biblical definition for sexuality. Here's the definition that I would give to you. It's this. Sex is a gift from God to be shared between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime for the purposes of procreative recreation and intimate recreation and restoration. Let me unpack that a little bit and start here, that sex is a gift from God. And a lot of us go, boy, boy, really? Because we want to separate our personal lives, our spiritual lives, and our sexual lives. We, we want them to be two separate things. And God says, look, I've given this to you as a gift of your sexuality. And it's this interesting thing to think about. Because let's say you needed a car. And I decided that I was going to buy you a car. Just for the record, that's not prophetic. This is just a little story here, okay? I ain't buying you a car. But let's say I decide to buy you a car. And I go, man, I, I want them to enjoy this and be happy with this. Now, I can't build you a car, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy you a brand new one. And I'm gonna think about you. And I'm not gonna go cheap. I'm gonna get you all the bells and whistles. I'm gonna think, what would they like on this car? What kind of things would they enjoy? What special things would they want? And I get a car, and I'm certain it's just the right make and model. It's got all the things on it that you would want. This thing is tricked out, and I give you that car, and I go, look, this is a gift that I want you to enjoy, and if you take it, and you treasure it, and you value it, and you, you do the regular scheduled maintenance, and you make sure that you wash it, and you wax it, and you, you take good care of that, and when you drive, you're very careful to protect this gift I've given to you. How am I gonna feel about that? Man, I'm gonna know you value it. I'm gonna know that it was special for you, that it was important to you. But if I give you that car and you're like, hey, dude, thanks, man, you know, and you take it and you're reckless with it and you let the outside, the exterior get damaged and you don't really pay attention to how it's running and you ignore the maintenance and you drive in a way that's just blatantly reckless and you kind of ignore the rules of the road, as somebody who gave you that gift, I'm gonna be frustrated, I'm gonna struggle, I'm gonna be disappointed, not because I'm disappointed in you, but because I'm disappointed for you, because I wanted that gift to mean so much more to you. Does that make sense? This is a wonderful gift from God that he's given to us when we talk about sexuality. And so as a result, we should take it seriously. Here's the next part of this definition that we have. It's a gift from God to be shared between a man and a woman. Boy, does that sound old-fashioned. Boy, does that sound based on some pretty bigoted presuppositions. Why do we say that in 2018? Well, again, 
Today we're not giving you the word of Chad. And I want you to know this. When I'm at my house, the word of Chad is the authoritative rule. You know that, right? <laughs> at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> but here, anything that you hear from this platform, you run it through the filter of God's word. That's your GPS, right? So what we're looking at today is what God's word says about these things. And what does God's word say? Well, in Genesis chapter two, this is at creation. When God put Adam and Eve together, when he created mankind in marriage, he says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And you might go, well, that's, a, that's an Old Testament, antiquated, old-fashioned idea. But Jesus reinforces it. Listen carefully to this story from Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, and these, these religious hypocrites come to Jesus, and they challenge him with a question. And it says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Three things in that passage that, that for some of us might make us squirm a little bit when we think of sexuality. The first one is, if you notice in that passage, Jesus makes it very clear that marriage is for a lifetime and that God hates divorce. I mean, that's, that's right there. Now, let me unpack this for you for a moment. Some of you Many of us in one way or another have divorce in our background. That doesn't mean God hates you. And that doesn't mean that God's done with you. Understand this, the Bible makes allowance for divorce. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus will go on to say that in cases of adultery, marital unfaithfulness, there's an allowance for divorce. In cases of abandonment, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter seven that there's an allowance for divorce. There, there are biblical allowances for divorce, but that's not the issue. We're not looking at the exception here. I wanna talk to those of you who aren't married yet and those of you who are married that the Bible says that marriage is for a lifetime. And we'll see this again here in just a moment. And there's a truth that's there that's really important for us to see. And the next thing that we see there is that he says, and this is really interesting, that God created them male and female. He makes these two genders very distinct in scripture. Again, this isn't my words, these are God's words right here. And both in Genesis in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament, and you see it in other places, the Bible speaks about gender as something that are two, not many, not one, it's something that God has created us with and that that gender matters. And we'll, we'll get to more of that here in just a moment. The place in 2018 where I also really think that Jesus kind of opens up a can of worms here is that he isolates and he, he makes reference here that marriage is to happen between a male and a female. That, that's the only allowance that we see in scripture. And that makes a bit of a challenge because apparently Jesus hadn't heard about the Supreme Court decision that said marriage can happen in a same-sex environment. That was a little sarcastic. <laughs> but God's word speaks about this in some interesting ways. Again, we're, we're looking at God's word today. Romans chapter one, Paul's talking to people about how easy it is for us to choose to go our way instead of going God's way. And in that passage, he, he says some things that theologically are very pointed for us to consider. Look at what he says, Romans chapter one, verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever, amen. Interesting line there. They worshiped and served the creature instead of the creator. They gave their allegiance to a physical body instead of giving their allegiance to the one who created us. And let's just take a moment and recognize he's pointing out all kinds of sexual sin there. From lust to adultery to homosexuality to premarital sex to pedophilia to polygamy to whatever they're gonna invent next week, right? It's all covered right there. That our allegiance is to the creator and not to the creature, which then, because of the culture that they were in, Paul takes it one more step. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Look again, that's, that's God's word. And I know some people will, will try to do some, like, uh, some, some fancy biblical interpretation, some uh, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to change that passage and say, well, it doesn't really mean what it means. But if you study that passage with, with integrity, what you see is that God spells out very clearly that for marriage and sexual activity, the way that he's designed it is to be between a man and a woman in marriage for a lifetime. That's the definition that we see here, and that's, that's tough for us. And look, what does that mean then? Well, s- stick with me for a few minutes, because I, some of you are already kind of making determinations of where this is gonna go and, and what these questions mean for us today. Let's go back to the definition, and then we'll answer some of those things. We see that marriage, or that sex, is a gift from God between a man and a woman. The third part here is in the covenant of marriage. That's the context that God has given us for sexuality. Marriage should be honored by all. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse four. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And that's a reference to to sexual activity. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. For years, the the church's stand has been that any sexual activity outside of marriage is is considered to be a sin. And that's why we we kind of always kind of had the stance as, as, as a Christian church that to live with somebody that you're not married with was a practice that was discouraged and that, that was seen as a sinful thing. The problem is, with that idea of living with someone else, the problem is not the fact that you share a roof. The problem is that you share a bed. And what happens in that place? To which you go, well, God sure isn't much fun, is he? You kind of go, why, why is that? And we have this idea that God's trying to take something away from us because he's given us these guidelines and these rules. You know, one of the things that that I've learned as a parent, and and I had to learn this growing up, and then I've seen this even more as a parent, is that oftentimes what I've seen as punishment has actually been protection. What I've seen as something being taken away from me was actually something that was being given to me so that I could have what maybe I couldn't even understand yet. And so God gives us these guidelines. He goes on to say that marriage is for a lifetime, We've talked about that. And then the the question of why, what is the purpose of sex? Two scriptures that are good to see. One, the purpose of sex is procreative recreation. It's to procreate. It's to make more people. It's to recreate people. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If we're going to have more people, we rely on sexual activity, right? If you didn't know that, call your mom and dad, okay? Because I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out on that. I, you're... Second part of that, why sex? It's for procreative recreation. And I would also say it's for intimate recreation. God has given sex as a gift to a husband and wife to be something to be enjoyed. It's, it's restorative in their relationship. Proverbs chapter five, verse 18, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And there's a lot here in that definition of what sex is supposed to be, how we're supposed to see this biblically, even if there's places where it's in conflict with our society. We take a few minutes to talk about this today for two reasons. One, for some of you, I wanna take away the stigma of sex. Because for some of you, every time the word comes up, whether you're single or married, whatever your situation, you hear sex and you're like, oh, it's dirty. Oh, it's bad. Oh, we shouldn't talk about this. Maybe because of something that you were heard or you've experienced or you've been told, and the truth is, it is a gift from God. But it's also a gift we don't wanna be careless with. An old analogy that I've heard, it may be borderline cheesy, but it always helps me to think of it this way. Sex is a lot like fire. And when fire's in the right context, it's a really good thing. You put a fire in a fireplace, you put a fire in a stove, and what does it do? It warms, it gives heat, it gives power, it's a tool that you can use. It's a wonderful thing when it's in the stove. But if you start starting little fires all over your house, what's gonna happen to your house? Your house is gonna burn down, it's gonna be damaged, and you're gonna be in a world of hurt. It's a powerful thing when it's in the right context. Now the problem is that when we talk about this sometimes, 
We can have a tendency, especially in the church, to miss the point. Because sometimes I like, to, I like to point a finger at what I think is a sin that's different from mine or worse than mine. And you know about my sin? It's none of your business. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? But we all have it. So what do we do in this situation? How does the church handle this? Fortunately, Paul helps us. So the G is, does this glorify God? And we found out by a biblical definition, yes, sex is something that God created to glorify him. But what about the P? What about people? What about encouraging or discouraging others? What if we were to take this concept and these cultural issues of human sexuality and run it through that part of our GPS thought process? Well, Paul helps us with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Look at what he wrote. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, and we assume that this is a letter that he wrote previously to them. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Paul says, look, just don't do it. But then he clears it up. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Paul really helps us here because he says, look, you will encounter sexually immoral people. And he uses language of inside and outside of the church. And he says, of course you're gonna see it outside of the church. Let me talk to you about how you deal with it outside the church, Paul says, and let me talk with you about how you deal with it inside the church. In fact, as I, as I process this, kind of through that people grid, does this discourage or encourage others? Real quick, I, I thought of kind of five different categories or groups or places where you might find yourself as a person or you might interact with someone in this area of human sexuality and sexual immorality. The first is, how do we view this when we think of people outside the church? And Paul really helps me when I think about this. Because oftentimes, I can see a world that it has increasing sexual immorality. Anybody else notice that or am I alone? All right? I see a world that is increasing in sexual immorality, and I can start to lose heart. And what Paul says in this passage is he basically says, of course there's immorality in the world. He says, what else would you expect? Because the people outside of the church don't share your same values. And if they don't share their same values, it's not gonna direct their thoughts and their process. And so he says basically, look, you've got to understand people outside the church play by their own rules and not the rules of God's word. So don't be surprised when you see biblical immorality. The New Testament, and this is interesting, the New Testament never calls us to mandate morality in our world. It calls us to show people life change through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we let Jesus and the Holy Spirit be the one who helps people to see and to change their lives. I was talking with a friend of mine this week. We were sitting outside and we were talking. And I was just kind of struggling with this because I said, look, the, the deal is that, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I know what God's word says. I know what truth is. I know the right way on the one way. And if I interact with people, they don't always accept that same truth. And we were sitting there and I looked down and there was this yellow flower that was right there. And I pointed at it and I said, look, I can look at that and I can see that that flower is yellow and I know it's yellow, but what if somebody says to me, no, that flower's blue, and I go, but I know the truth that it's yellow, but I can't change their mind or convince them that it's actually yellow when they think it's blue because that's their church, or that tr their church. <laughs> you go to the church, the blue flower, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> that's their truth. Sorry, that's their truth. This is my truth, right? And how do I convince them otherwise? Because when I look at that flower, I know I'm right and I know they're wrong. And he said to me, maybe they're not wrong. Maybe they're just colorblind. He says, you think they're just rejecting the truth. The problem is they're just holding on to the truth that they have. And the world has told them that that yellow flower is actually blue. And so they want to hold on to that truth. And we have to help people to understand that there is truth through Jesus Christ, but the way that they see it is in the way that we live, not because we hit them over the head with a yellow flower. Does that make sense? Which takes me back to another thing. Paul not only talks here about those outside the church, he also talks about those inside the church, and what he says is inside the church, you cannot allow for sexual sin. And what I love is that he mentions a bunch of other sins too. Well, he's not just throwing one group of people under the bus. He said, look, church, make, make sure you're living right in this thing. 
couple areas you have to talk about when you, when you think about that. One is in the area of sexual temptation. Because the reality is sexual temptation will come our ways. If we were honest, if we took a poll in here today, and you, I, I can see, you can't see everybody, I can see all of you. You all are very holy people. I mean, I can tell that, just looking at you. But if we took a poll in here today, and I asked you how many of you have ever wrestled with some form of sexual temptation, I'm convinced that 95% of you would say, yes, I've wrestled with sexual temptation at some point. And I'm also convinced that the other 5% would say, and yes, I'm wrestling with lying sometimes. <laughs> it's all of us, right? I'm convinced in the culture in which we live, so we've gotta be careful not to be hypocritical about this. When we point fingers at everybody else, now understand this though, this is a whole different sermon, but when temptation comes our way, there's a difference between being tempted and acting on that temptation, right? It's normal for us to be tempted, and then we have to choose how we will respond if we will let that lead to sin. And this is something that we have to watch. And we'll talk about sexual sin here in just a moment, but I want you to see what Paul said. Paul said this, the church cannot be indifferent to this. And we live in a world where the church is becoming more and more indifferent to sexual sin and to what God's word says. Paul rebukes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 for being proud about their sexual sin. Interesting word choice. And the present reality is that our world is trying to redefine the church's response on this issue of sexual morality. And what is often called tolerance is actually compromise. And we have to believe God's word and stand by God's word, which then puts us in a really weird spot. Because this passage of scripture causes me to think about those outside the church, those inside the church. It also causes me to think about those who may have questions about all of this. Because even for myself, I've been guilty of this in the past. As the church, my response is, this is what God's word says and you better believe it. And then I turn and walk away while some of you are sitting there going, yeah, but I have questions about this. <laughs> because these truths in God's word, I'm having a hard time lining them up with the things that I'm feeling or the things that I'm hearing from my friends or the things that I'm seeing from other people. How do I wrestle with these things? And I, I feel like I wanna to apologize to some of you maybe who have questions about this because of the way maybe that you've been treated by the church in a way that's been unkind or unfair or cruel or dismissive. Some of you are caught between both of these worlds where you, you say in, in one hand I believe in God and I wanna honor him but I know the things that I feel and the sexual ethic of the church no longer makes sense to you. Maybe it's issues with same-sex attraction or gender confusion. At some point, you have to say, in the midst of those issues, and, and I'm saying, I understand where maybe those are real issues that you wrestle with. You have to say, how do I choose to respond to those issues based on what I feel or based on what I see in God's word? Based on the truths of God's word or just based on the emotions that I have? I don't want to burst your bubble or, or break your little hearts, but this morning, my alarm went off really early and when it did, I love my role, I love the opportunity to preach God's word, I, I consider it a great privilege, but I can tell you this, when my alarm went off this morning, the last thing I wanted to see was you. <laughs> you know what I wanted to see? Inside of my eyelids. I wanted to be there a little while longer. I did not feel like getting out of bed, but I knew I needed to. Sometimes, and I know that's a, that's a, that's a really simple analogy, but sometimes the thing you feel might not be the thing that lines up with scripture. Here's things that people have said to me. I feel like taking a long, lustful look at her body. I have feelings for him that I don't have for my husband anymore. Well, I feel like looking at pornography. Or I feel something for that person of the same sex. Or I feel something for that person of the opposite sex that I'm not married to. I feel like my physical gender is not what I really am. And we base so much of our lives on what we feel when, and we'll get to this in just a minute, maybe sometimes we need to step back and go, but what does God's word say is real? Real quick, two other groups of people that I think need to be addressed with this passage. One is some of you have a friend or a loved one, a child or a coworker or a family member or a great friend who these questions that we talk about would be really difficult. And you say, well, if I believe God's word, then how do I respond to them? And honestly, that's a question that I've been asked quite frequently, and there's never really a simple cut or dry answer. You have to treat people, first and foremost, as a person that God loves and Jesus died for. And you trust the Holy Spirit to lead you. 
and you move forward with grace, giving love and acceptance, but also with truth, knowing that sometimes truth can be something that creates conflict between people. And you ask him to lead you. One other group that Paul actually real specifically speaks of, and, and just want to hit this real quick, is what do you do with those, and, and, and I, I guess this would be all of us at some point, who are judging other people? I got thinking about those yellow light issues we talked about last week. What's fun about those yellow light issues is, is because they're, they're not real clear, they're not, they're not red stop, they're not green go, they're kind of cautionary ones, is you can draw a line in the sand and you can walk right up to that and say, this side of the line is where I am and that side is sin. And if you're on that side of the line, you're a sinner, which is real convenient because you drew the line, right? It's real easy to judge on that side. And if I draw my line a little bit different, I'm behind you a little bit and I've got a nice line, but you're the sinner, right? I can do that. And Paul points this out to us. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we can be so quick to look at people who we think are in this horrible sexual sin and start pointing the finger at them. And look at what Paul says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. He says, look, this, this whole idea of this, this judgment thing we're talking about, he says, just make sure you understand and you see this. Judgment better begin with you before you start pointing the finger at everybody else, especially in this area of human sexuality. Make sure you start with you. We like to list what the worst sin is. Some of you may feel like the church has pointed their finger at you and said you're committing the worst sin. When I look at the Bible, I I don't see a whole lot of categorization of sin. There is one in particular I think that, that God really points out. The Bible speaks most about the sin of pride which is exactly what I feel when I start believing that your sin is somehow worse than mine. Which takes me very quickly to the last thing, and we're gonna let scripture just help us with this. The, the letter G we talked about is, does this thing glorify God? And we talked about how God designed sex to be glorifying to him. And then P, we've talked about how a believer probably should act in these situations with others. What about self? How do I view and address this for myself? When Paul taught about this in 1 Corinthians, he wraps it up in chapter six, verse nine, and says this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look at that list and you go, dodged it, I got a couple other lists in the Bible you can look at. You're on one of them. So what do you do with that? Like at some point you look at those lists and, and don't fool yourself. You're on one of them. And that's a moment where you just go, God, I realize that at some point I've separated myself from you. In fact, Paul points this out. Look at the rest of this passage. He goes, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Whatever your temptation, whatever your struggle, the good news is that Jesus Christ died for you and he gave his life so that you could know his forgiveness. We sang about his living hope. That is available to us and Paul goes on to talk about in this scripture about those things. And then he ends with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Why look at all these scriptures today? For about the last nine or 10 months, I've noticed that when I go to read, I can't, I can't see real well. Like I'm having a hard time reading. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was up here and I was trying to read a passage of scripture out of my Bible and I went, man, I'm, am I glad I had this memorized once? Because I couldn't read it. It was like all blurry, wasn't making sense. So I went to the eye doctor for my annual appointment and I was telling her about this and she did the test on my eyes. She said, oh yeah, your eyes have have changed quite a bit. We need to change your prescription. And I asked her why. And she says, it's because I'm getting older. (laughs) I haven't told her yet, but I think I'm gonna look for another doctor. (laughs) I didn't didn't like that. I didn't like that. (laughs) 
No, actually, she says, hey, let me change your prescription. She changed the prescription. I've had it for two weeks. It's amazing how much better I see things now. I can read again in a way like I, I'm just young again, folks, right? It's that, it's that kind of thing. Why do we take this time to look at God's word? Because sometimes God's word is a tool that helps us to adjust the prescription of how we see the world and how we see ourselves and how we can see things more clearly because our culture puts such a priority on sex and sexuality to the point that some of us feel like that if that's not a major part of our life, then maybe our life doesn't have value or matter. We ask these questions about who we are in God's kingdom and what it looks like in this place. And this is why Paul speaks to us and he says, look, this isn't all about sexuality. This is about you and Jesus. The issue isn't so much what sexual sins are you committing. My issue for you, my question to you, no matter what you're wrestling with is, where is the place of Jesus Christ in your life? And have you given him lordship? Do you believe his word? And have you recognized that he has authority and control in our lives, even if it means that I have to choose in my life to surrender that area or that place or that part of my life to him? And it's interesting, Paul doesn't just mention sexual sins, he mentions a bunch of sins here, because what he's saying is this, is Jesus Lord of your life? Because if you'll begin with that and you'll let God's love come into your life, it will change you. The reason we talk about this with such sincerity today is not to point a finger at the culture, but to take a look in the mirror and to say, have I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? We've quoted this verse every, I think every week in this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You and I need to use this GPS grid. I know you might not agree with everything here today. That's okay. I ask you to take God's word for yourself and consider it for yourself. But recognize this world and culture that we live in and take heed how you stand lest you fall. One of the things that struck me about this as I was studying this and call it the Holy Spirit, call it conviction, call it clarity. I'm not sure what all you want to call it. But when we were um, starting the renovation, I think a lot of you know we did some major renovation down on the other end of the building over the course of the last year and picked up a bunch of new awesome space for our kids' ministries, our youth ministries. There's a room down there that used to look just like this one, 500 seats, raised seating, concrete, and steel. The very first thing that they had to do was go in and level everything. And I thought to myself, how hard can that be? (laughs) Concrete and steel, it's a big deal. And they went in and they started doing that and they started ripping those seats that you're sitting in, kind of ripping all of that apart. And it was big, heavy, dangerous, dirty work, dirty work. It created dust like you would not believe when they were doing this job. And they did a great job of using these ventilation systems and dealing with the dust and helping to do everything. But have you noticed that dust is a pesky thing? Somehow it keeps showing up at your house. You didn't invite it, right? It just keeps coming. Four weeks, four weeks months, we continued to find the dust of the demolition of what happened down there, not just in that room, but literally all throughout the building. Like maybe you would remember back at at Easter, we asked for some folks to come in and help us to clean up because we we just knew the dust was just everywhere to the point that I think you kind of get desensitized to it and you fail to realize that it's there and the effect that it's having on things. And as I studied and read this, I think it's real easy for us in the church to become desensitized to the way that the immorality in our culture affects us, true or false? Like the things we watch, the things we listen to, it comes a moment where that residue is just all over our culture we see it when we check out at the grocery store. We hear it on the radio. We, we do it and we're just kind of scanning the channels and that is there. And at some point I have to say, God, in this area of my life, I surrender myself completely to you. My life will be built not on what the culture says, but on the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And so I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song and make it our prayer. And it says, God, that you are holy and I will build my life on you. My encouragement to you is take these scriptures, take these thoughts, run them through your own life and allow God to speak to you about this area in your life. Father, we look to you. God, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for who you are. God, would you speak to us by your word so that we could know you in such a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy, there is no one. 
Father, that's our prayer. God, that we would live according to your word, that we would build our lives on you. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.